Continuing education credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals is provided by VCU Healthcare Continuing Education. Check out cribsiders.vcuhealth.org for more information. The Cribsiders podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host. Welcome back to the Cribsiders. I'm Chris the Chi Manchu, and I'm joined by my producers for this episode, Sydney Engel, Nick Lee, and Joan Park, who's our AAP czar, who was able to get this whole thing set up for us. So I'm very happy that we're here today. So tonight, it is nighttime, right? It's nighttime for me on the East Coast. It's like yeah, nine yeah, my brain is already <laughs> Tonight is the first of a two-part episode where we discuss highlights of the AAP 2012 conference. For 2022. Oh, I did it yeah. again, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> 2012 was a good year, though. Oh, yeah. That was a great year. That was. We should go back to that. Let's go back to 2012. I can discuss. I, I will there. need to pull up notes. I, was there. <laughs> I took notes. I think I still have a blog on that, actually. <laughs> so you guys may hear some of these other voices, and we have amazing guests tonight. We have doctors David Hill and Joanna Parga Blinky. All right. From Peds on Call, you know, another podcast that came up around the same time we did. So we're so happy to have you on. Honestly, I've been thinking about wanting to do some sort of collaboration with you guys for a long time. And when uh, when uh, Joan was like, we should go to AP, I was like, we need to see if we can get something done. So I'm super excited. But first, Sydney is going to tell us a little bit something about our podcast. Absolutely. So we are the Pediatric Medicine Podcast. We interview leading experts in the field to bring clinical pearls, practice-changing knowledge, and answer lingering questions about core topics in pediatric medicine. We have a fantastic conversation with our guests, Dr. David Hill and Dr. Joanna parga Balinki from the AAP Peds on Call podcast. Dr. Hill is a hospitalist pediatrician with the Goldsboro Pediatrics and UNC Children's Health and adjunct assistant professor of pediatrics at the UNC and Campbell School of Medicine and co-host of the AAP Pediatrics On Call podcast. He's also the author of Dad to Dad, Parenting Like a Pro, co-author of Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting Your Children First, and Associate Medical Editor of Caring for Your Baby, Birth to Age 5. He serves as Chair of the AAP Council Management Committee and Associate Editor of Pediatric Parent Education for Pediatric Care Online. Dr. Parga Balinki is a neonatologist, mother, podcaster, and person. She works at an academic hospital taking care of babies in the newborn nursery and NICU. She is a lactation enthusiast and IBCLC, but is a little lactose intolerant, so doesn't have a ton of milk herself. She has a bit of a sugar addiction and is embarrassed to calculate her daily GIR. That said, she is never ashamed to discuss how much she loves educating on podcasts. Her preferred us form of social media and is always happy to eat a mic. <laughs> Insert pun. We're not nearly as good as you guys. That's, so that's we, the hardest part. Very right different intros. I, I think we were writing for different that's things. That's also 80% of the podcast. We're out. You guys we're are done. so good. The, so if you guys, if none of our listeners have listened to He's on Call, we just watched a live show with them earlier. And their puns is part of their transitions and segues are like on point. I was <laughs> laughing and it was fantastic. Everything from turning up the heat to looking in ears. I, I don't know how you guys did it, but it was amazing. We get a lot of schooling from Dr. Lewis first, who was there with us today. And when he's there, he just kind of drives up the pun meter. Yeah. It's like the pun meter 
goes sky high. Yeah, you, I got to say, you know, when we're interviewing Lewis, probably 80% of our focus is on what the next pun could be. <laughs> so uh, that's like all of our focus. I think that's why you heard Rachel Moon be like, I am intimidated <laughs> to be like sitting right next to Lewis first on this because he's going to pun out. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Run out with a pun out. <laughs> nice, nice. So for our listeners, when, when is that episode coming out? Are we dropping next week? Is it? No, we... I we teased lice. I'm not 100% sure. I think lice drops and then it drops maybe. No, no, but we teased lice at the end of that. So it comes before. I think it's next <laughs> we week. We teased lice. We teased lice. That's how you, that is how you treat <laughs> lice. So this is become very educational. They were, they yeah. were offended as um, well. So <laughs> I feel bad. They have a they have a poor self-esteem now, the lice. I think it's lice and we're doing an NCE kind of recap of, what, of sessions that we enjoyed on our podcast as well. And then I think it might be the week after. But, you know, every month we do a research roundup with the editors of pediatrics so um i think that will count as a research roundup for october sometime so they might come out before us so so go over to your podcast uh, player of choice and find their episode because i think it'll be great i enjoyed it a lot we're so honored that you were there by the way thank <laughs> you for that had we known we'd have been really intimidated so i'm really glad that you <laughs> No, actually, they were they are being modest. There was standing room only, so we were actually like sitting on the floor in the back corner, listening in and being very impressed by you guys. <laughs> and we didn't chew on any noisy chips or open any big bags, anything during the middle. <laughs> Dagger glares from your producer, by the way. It's, that person. <laughs> it's it's stunning how those are in person compared to virtually, because usually we get them virtually. I feel like in yeah. person it was more. Yeah, fortunately, we, we there's a little inside ball. Like we record on different tracks, and I like to crunch ice. <laughs> <laughs> Only Anne knows what the sound of my ice crunching is. It's never. It's totally isolated from everyone else. Nice, nice. I got, I got your pun. <laughs> anyway, a little slow today, I guess, but we will go on. Hey, Drs. David Hill and Joanna Parga-Belinke. Thank you for having us at the AAP conference. We're really honored to be here and to help cover the content. And thanks for coming on the show. We've learned a lot already, and we're not even done with day two. But to start off, we always like to ask at the beginning of a podcast, because we're an informal group, we'd like to ask if it's okay if we call you by your first name. You know, I, I, prefer, I want to take it one <laughs> step further. I just want you to call me Duh. Duh. <laughs> I feel like the rest of the first name is kind of formal, and (laughs) we're already having such a good time. So we'll do. I mean, I'm just gonna say yes. (laughs) Okay, duh. And Joanna, (laughs) (laughs) I did see that on your Twitter handle. I don't think you even put your whole first name on there. So this is evidently a common theme for you. You know, every character changed it recently, didn't you? No, no. It's still it's still just Dav Hill at Dav Hill. Which is like the first email. I have a legacy email from UNC School of Medicine that goes back to the mid '90s, and that's what they assigned me, and I've just kept it ever since. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, we like to start with some rapid fire questions to get to know our guests a little bit. So, duh, can you give us a one liner <laughs> to describe yourself? <laughs> you know, you're a very intelligent young man, and and when you say duh, I realize I made a horrible mistake. <laughs> So, you know, first of all, I'm going to give you the whole Avid. (laughs) And then, second of all, can you repeat the question? Can you give us a pithy one-liner to describe yourself? Oh, yeah, right. I knew this was coming, too. Uh, You know, I am obviously a pediatrician, 
a dad, a writer, an editor, uh, a cook, a gardener. Are we still at one line? I mean, there are lots of uh, run-on colons. I'm not like, sure so. any grammatical check is in yeah, place. So. Okay, good. Uh, a husband, uh, a runner, a cyclist, a uh, podcaster. And uh, I mean, I could go on, but I think that's probably a good place to stop. Great. And Joanna, can you give us your one-liner? Rare, bold, and wild. Oh, that's nice. Amazing. That's the best one we've yeah, had so far. Never, I've never heard one like that. I'm I practicing love my whole the life. Juxtaposition here. Nice. nice. I, uh, that is from, by the way. Uh, there's a story behind that, which is that I, the very first vacation I took with my husband was in Montana. We went to Glacier National Park, and that was the tagline for all the Huckleberry candies <laughs> <laughs> that were in the airport. And I was like, "But that is the best three words to describe yourself that I have ever seen." I was like, "I will use that." Forever. And then and so I do use it. And uh, there is a debate amongst my husband and I whether it's rare, bold and wild or bold, rare and wild. But I think it's rare, bold and wild. I think I think we could sell you as a brand that way. <laughs> Thank you. Rare, <laughs> bold, wild. Dr. Joanna Parker. <laughs> nice, nice. So one thing we like to do on our episodes is, is we also consider sort of faculty and career development, and especially for our, our young residents and med students who also listen. And we, you know, we have a lot of people who come on who have lots of experience. And what is one thing that you have learned, best advice you've learned, either as a pediatrician, as a person that you would think would be great for our listeners to hear about? Since you got rare, bold, and wild, I'll <laughs> try and give you my pithiest. And understand, this is aspirational. I don't, I don't think it necessarily applies to me, but it's something to shoot for. Uh, back when I was in college, I was working in the OR in the summers, and one of my heroes was this was this giant of uh, general surgery in Memphis. And I was telling him, like, I don't know what kind of specialty I want to do. You know, when I'm in medicine, like some of these things are so crowded. And he put a hand on my shoulder and he said, "Look." There's always room at the top. And I'm like, I'm going to remember that. Like, you know, yeah, If don't worry about it. Just try to be the best you can be. And there's going to be room for you if you're really putting in the effort. So uh, don't know that I've ever seen the top. <laughs> I can't report on how much room there is there. But when I get there, I'll let everyone know. Okay. <laughs> Love it. I would say it's find your people because I think you hear this a lot. The medicine is more than just a job. It becomes kind of a lifestyle. And so being with the people that have the same passions of, as you and finding a group of people that you really connect with, I think, help you in this what can be often demanding career. And that's also part of why I love this conference because you get to see so many pediatricians that and, and I said this during the plenary that are like family um, and, and it's, it's an amazing feeling. I actually didn't say that during the plenary. I said that during our podcast talk. Yeah. But it's and I'll say that again. True. I said this during our podcast talk, which is that it's a family here, you know, and so you got to find your people and that's why I'm in pediatrics. Um, I think in interest of time, we're going to move on because we have a lot to talk about. And one of the big things that we're having you on is because you guys were like the MCs for all the plenary sessions. I mean, this thing's like a rock show. I walked into the Anaheim Arena. I was like, first, as I'm walking down this red carpet, you guys are like in front of this background that has AP. Joanna, you're wearing this beautiful dress. You're in like a tux. Yeah. And uh, there's there's the camera. There's the lights. You guys are doing stuff on the red carpet. And then 
they're like, it's really smoky around here. And I walk in, the arena is just full of fog and lights are everywhere. And then um, I really wish people could have seen this because it was just gorgeous because we went in and then they start off with a song from Dear Evan Hansen, which I think really plays the themes that AP has been trying to push this year at this national convention. And then you guys came out like the Academy Awards, which you guys sort of like, I, you know, leaned upon it was really fun. I mean, I've been to a lot of conferences, you know, SGM, ACP, because I'm also medicine, PAS, and it, I've just never seen anything like that. And I think it also gives to like the fun factor and sort of the difference that, that um, the AP is. So I would really encourage anyone who has never been to AP, and this is my first time at AP, that it was great. Before we get to some of the, the plenary sessions, and we're only going to be able to talk about half of them because we're... We're sort of recording on, what day is it? Sunday? <laughs> We've only got through half of them. And so maybe we can tease about what's going to ha- come up um, come upcoming. But I, what were your thoughts? So that, that Was it always the plan that you guys were going to emcee this? Was that like a good good time? Did you? And also, as you presented each of these presenters, how much did you talk back and forth about what they were going to talk about and how are you going to present? Well, I, first of all, I have to give credit because I would love to say that this was my idea. But Joanna totally came up with the whole... Academy Awards thing. And as soon as she said it, I thought, that is rare. That is bold. That is wild. We have to do it. And uh, then we pitched it to the AP people thinking there's no way they're going to go with this. And they were like, as soon as Jared Cohen, uh, who runs the AV, uh, part of this uh, heard it, he was like, yeah, okay, I know it. we can do the lights. We got the backdrop. Okay, I know what we're going to We're like, you- you're going to do it? It's like, yeah, totally. So I am along for the ride with this person, and it is a blast. <laughs> That's very nice. But I think David alluded to the fact that it's such a creative, collaborative process putting on the National Conference and Exhibition. Um, Jared Cohen has been the head of it. I don't know his official title. He just got promoted, and he was actually supposed to give up the plenary, but he yeah. loves it so much that he kept it in his job description to continue to do it. And you could just tell, I mean, I this is my first in-person conference as well. I attended virtually the last two years. And I had always heard that it was just a celebration of pediatricians. The energy, it's all about, you know, just really bringing together community and making people feel invested and feel like the things that they are doing are important, which they completely are. And that's what this conference is about. And that is the energy that you feel when you walk into this conference. And David and I were just trying to capture that in the red carpet gag, um, which was totally a gag. And my it wasn't on it. That was a rent the runway dress. I could not have afforded <laughs> such a dress. But we wanted to give the pediatricians walking down that red carpet the feeling that this is about you. You are the stars of this. You make this conference with your sessions, with your knowledge, with the education that you're giving. And I hope we did that, David. Yeah, no, I think that was why it was so perfect because this conference always is about the stars that our members are. I mean, you get in conversations with people. I think this is one of the dangers of here is you come back with so many ideas in such a sense that so many people are making their communities and children's health better. You're like, you want to do it all. Yeah, you know, I used to come back with a notebook full. I'd sit down with my practice and be like, okay, guys, here's what you got. They're like, you can't do it all today, David. You pick pick your top five and let's, you know, let's go with that. But you start talking to people like, oh, that's a great idea. Why aren't we doing that? We need to do it. And that chance to just highlight and and how far people come from. I mean, that's the other thing yeah. that we were excited about on the red carpet was to get people from all 
over and, you know, highlight how far they people travel like over a day just to come here and be with each other. And that's extraordinary. Sí, la verdad es que um, un mitad de las personas que hablan con David y yo sí. hablan español. <laughs> and then we had to get out our Spanish. Párate, <laughs> porque no hablo español párate. ni una palabra. Por favor, párate y habla inglés. <laughs> Uh, Puedo encontrar un taco, pero no más. ¿Dónde está el baño? Good job. It wasn't the best Spanish, but I mean, it was just a highlight of how diverse the group of pediatricians is and how far they are traveling to come to come to this. And I mean, so we, we had like to honor that. 10,000 attendees, more than 10,000, is that right? Yes, more than 10,000 attendees from 70 different countries. So obviously a lot of the first plenary was about finding this joy. And I think you guys did such a great job with the introduction of really bringing that feeling of joy and exactly what you were trying to go for with the red carpet of of just kind of making it an exciting and experience to reconnect with people. But before we kind of jump into that joy, I wanted to talk a little bit about the AAP president's address, which I think um, kind of took a little bit of a step back from that to acknowledge that this has been a really, you know, this is our first time back together after what's been a pretty complicated and hard few years. Um, so Dr. Moira Silaji, her talk was on, um, was called A Year of Grief, Grit, and Grace. Definitely have some some big thoughts around this, but I'm curious if you have any big impressions you wanted to share or memories, takeaways from that. Yeah, I think, you know, our relationship with Moira goes back um, to some podcast episodes that we did with her. One was on trauma-informed care, and one was just about her story that came out right before the conference. It was a Pathways to Pediatrics talk. Um, so this is, I just, to put into context, this is a, a woman um, who is so accomplished and who has experienced so much adversity in her own life. So being able to listen to her kind of talk through what has been a really difficult year and speak to that for pediatricians, I think is really powerful because she's coming from a place of really knowing. Yeah. Uh, Maura's journey, uh, We when we interviewed her, uh, we had to shave, well, and we didn't do it, shaved a good hour of gold into 20 listenable minutes, and I really don't know, because every time she spoke, we were like, and then what? Her parents, she'd grown up in Australia and moved to the United States with an accent. Her parents were not college educated, and she worked her way through just incredible grit and determination through schooling, and everywhere that she went, she wanted to teach. So when she was in elementary school, she wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And then, you know, when she was getting a PhD, she wanted to to be a college professor. And then she learned, wait, I could apply all this knowledge to, to medicine, and that's really what I want to do. And then she had this turning point in just a clinic. She just, somebody asked her to volunteer. And, you know, when you go back to, like, career advice, just be open to whatever happens. She just volunteered in a foster clinic and met this young man who just wanted to know why when he was six months old. His, his, why, why did he end up in foster care? And how he put it was, what did I do as a six month old? And that just opened her eyes to these kids and how they felt about their situation. And what, and she was like, oh, I have to help these people. And that makes her the perfect president of the AAP mm -hmm. in a year that has been 
threatening, tragic, difficult, and now we kind of see the sun peeking through a little bit in some ways, and there could not have been a better person to put a voice to that feeling that we're all experiencing. She definitely teased it during her talk, but her talk was much more focused in this context on some of the actions being taken, which I think is such a hopeful place to come from and very impressive um, just all of the things that AAP is doing around some of these key issues. I think two big topics that came up during the plenary and also have been highlighted throughout the whole um, conference are one, um, suicide and mental health issues, and then the second being firearm and gun violence. And that is just two of a lot, a lot of things going on. Um, but I was wondering if the two of you could speak a little bit to her thoughts around that or kind of some of the actions you're seeing being taken by AAP, either through policy statements or through advocacy. Yeah, I wanted to comment on the firearms one. Um, I think, you know, we're going to hear more about that in the plenary sessions um, because Roy Guerrero is here to talk about Uvalde in the coming day. So I know that we won't be able to talk about this today on the podcast, but um, firearm safety and is just such a, a big issue. And I don't know, at, at our podcast session today, too, Alex Kemper talked about an article on how firearm injury and death is surpassing car accidents now in this country. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, the AAP um, solicited different people's stories about firearm violence um, in this country uh, to kind of put out on social media and before Moira went to the Capitol so that she could bring those stories um, from her speaking there. And if you read them, it is it is heartbreaking. It is difficult to talk about. And I'm sure we could share our own stories. I mean, I live in Philadelphia, which right now there's a blight of gun violence there. And it's so interesting to hear people talk about that, you know, and be like, are you okay in Philly? Um, and it's also interesting. I I shared the story with David is that my daughter's daycare is next to a gas station and they were just shooting at that gas station one day and everybody thankfully in the daycare was fine, you know, so it didn't make the news like so many of these stories do. But it's that constant fear that you will be on the news for something like that. And so I think we have to give props to Moira for the advocacy that she's doing for that right now. I think. You know, I've been in AAP advocacy for years, and this year, partly due to the efforts of Moira and Dr. Roy Guerrero, uh, we got gun safety legislation passed, which a lot of people thought could never happen. And I think, you know, having watched this organization advocate for children for a while, it's extraordinary the number of things that people thought could never happen, that the Academy have made happen. We often don't get our entire wish list, but do we make things happen? So if you go all the way back, nobody thought we'd get lead out of gasoline and paint. Nobody thought car seats were going to catch on. Nobody thought you'd get people to wear <laughs> bike helmets. Now you can't helmets. get out of a car seat. Yeah, and now I'm like, why like, am I not in a car seat? I know, right? <laughs> I should be. I'm not a big person. Exactly. You and know? So the fact that we got gun safety legislation passed, imperfect legislation, but my gosh, we're moving again. That we're able to fund research on on gun safety and firearm injuries, which was, you know, a non-starter for a very long time. These are the sorts of efforts that the Academy makes and that you can look at and say, oh, why are we tilting at these windmills? But man, every now and then we we bring a windmill down. And so that's spectacular. At the same time on the communications end, uh, which is one of my favorite pieces, 
We talk about how to talk with families in ways that they will listen to us. And that is really critical. So we talk about gun safety. We talk about how to have a motivational interviewing you know, conversation, how not to say, so do you have any guns in your house? But instead, in a house with firearms, you know, it's really important to know that they need to be locked with ammunition locked separately so that, you know, we have constructive conversations and don't get people's backs up and, and get them defensive. This is based on research. People actually work on this stuff and come back and say, guess what? Here's a better way to have the conversation. And then we push it out there to our members and be like, hey, instead of uh, you don't have a gun, do you? Uh, <laughs> be like, you know, or, you know, there's a horrible person who would give it, you know, but instead, you know, we know that some households in our communities have guns and we want to make sure that kids are safe. So here are some ideas if you might have one, what to do. And those those sorts of efforts that seem fairly basic are life saving. And I think. You know, suicidality goes right along with gun violence. You can't really separate the two in this country. And I mean, the whole plenary session started with that Dear Evan Hansen song that you mentioned. And I think she kind of brought that to light, you know, how much the mental health crisis is affecting us and still is. And it's been a crisis for quite some time. Um, and especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, which kind of brought it all into focus. Um, so I, I think we'll get into the plenary sessions from today, too, because if we're talking about suicidality, I mean, we had a raw kind of emotional look at that from a person's story from Dr. Justin Bullock. So I think that's, as you mentioned, a theme that the Academy is really pushing, because not only are we worried about the mental health of our children and teens, we're worried about the mental health of our pediatricians, too, who are having to deal um, with so many patients who have now so many needs. So, you know, I, I think that seems like a, a reasonable place. You know, we can jump around a little bit and uh, let's talk about Dr. Justin Bullock. You know, it mm. was he had such a powerful and strong statement and story today. I mean, I'm very sure that many people in the audience today were moved to tears multiple times. You know, I he's one that I follow on Twitter and have been uh, following his story for a long time. And it's just something that... You know, I, I thought it was it was a very bold move. I thought for the conference to put him on such center stage, and it's so important to show that many of us face the same uh, mental health illnesses, and that the stigmatization also hurts us. We've known this for a long time, um, but then him sharing his own story, but then showing how his humanity um, and how it relates to the patients that he takes care of, and how other people and other providers that helped him with their humanity um, helped him get to where he is now despite even having multiple suicide attempts, um, and still he's much better for it. And I think one thing that really stood out to me is he had talked about, like, in medical school, we're so often taught that we, I think the word he used was sterilize the distance between patients and ourselves. But really what helped him and what he's done with his patients is to take the humanity, take the very human experiences that he has had, to use that as an asset to care for his patients. And to me, that was just, it was an incredible, really powerful story that he shared. What were your kind of reactions to his story? So we met him backstage before he went up on the stage. And and he had his family there, which included his therapist, which we didn't know at the time was. And he was just so energetic, kind of pumping himself up. He was uh, listening to a song. I like to listen to pump up music before I get on stage. And I, 
can't tell you what that is because it's trashy compared to what uh, <laughs> Justin was listening to. But uh, he was listening to something that really spoke to him emotionally and helped him in emotional times. And he was sharing that with me. And just so, you know, I'm searching for the right word. I mean, he was just so positive and had just such a beautiful presence. And then to have him go on stage and lay it all out there. I mean, that is, number one, extraordinary that he did that. So educational and helpful for so many people who are struggling with the same things. And I don't even want to say it's brave because I want more people to know that that's what we want to hear, that that we're not interested in perfection, that we're interested in the journey and, and the individual. And I think he really brought that home with yeah. talking about humanity, too. And, I, you know, I heard two things from Justin. One was the power of sharing your humanity and your vulnerability with a patient who's feeling human vulnerable, the, the ability to say, well, yeah, that is hard. And yeah, that was hard for me too. And yes, I have been scared of that. And I have been worried about that. And, you know, in pediatrics, uh, once you've had kids, it's always easy because it's hard. <laughs> so you say, yeah, my kid wouldn't sleep. They wouldn't eat what I wanted them to eat. They they fought. My teenager told me they hated me. You know, uh, you, you could say, yeah, this has been tough. And then the other side of it was really to give ourselves Empathy when things don't work perfectly. He told the story of a patient that he really thought he would be able to save from suicide because of the experience that they shared and because of his own insight into it and how that patient still committed suicide and how his insight, having had mental illness of that severity, he also understood that maybe it was not in his power to absolutely keep that from happening. And I, this is my, my wife uh, was in that audience, and she's a PA who provides pediatric psychiatric care full time now. And uh, we talk about that at the end of the day because I'm like, you know, you have an amazingly challenging patient population. She talks about the, you know, things that are going well and things that are going poorly. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, they're not all going to go well. By the time people get to you, uh, they're in a really rough spot. And, you know, some days it's, you don't have control over what happens to them. And that's true. It's true for all of us and giving ourselves that, that empathy of we have taken on, oh, we're going to make people healthier and save lives. Yeah. That's a job that cannot be performed perfectly. Illness will win sometimes, no matter how hard we try. And even worse, Sometimes it will be because we could have done something better, and those are the hardest times, and yet also we're not going to be perfect, and that's tough to accept in this job. And I think he challenged us to think about our medical training a little bit, um, the lack of support for people with chronic illnesses. Um, I've had other friends with different illnesses who also felt stigmatized by medical training because they were viewed not as an asset for their experiences, but as a hindrance because they were unable to keep up with what is a rigorous and often inhumane pace um, that we put medical trainees through. And so I really liked that he talked about that um, because I think it's a challenge for us to think about how we can better support our medical trainees. Um, and, you know, and I think there's room to grow there for us as pediatricians as well. I really love how you brought up kind of the training aspect of it, too, because I think um, so I'm a fourth year 
um, MedPeds resident. And I think kind of a theme that keeps coming up for me is um, acknowledging the humanity in myself and having grace for myself. But I think also showing that humanity not only to patients, but to my co-residents and to the interns that I work with and just being really vulnerable about like, hey, this is what I know. This is what I don't know. Here are the mistakes that I've made. You will also make mistakes and that's okay. And having grace for each other, I think is so important because I think so often in our training, we're, um, we we feel like we have to put up a front of perfection and a front of um, accomplishment. But I think so much more, it's like a live, more livable environment when we're pushed to the extremes that we are sometimes when we can take a step back and like, no, we're all human and we can have grace for each other and grace for ourselves. You know, I, well, I think one of the things that comes up um, when I think about this sort of areas, you know, I, I recently had to, I think I had to up, like renew my, my medical license for the state. And one of the questions on that is, have you ever been treated for mental health? And I think mm-hmm. that's not, that's not uncommon for many states to have that. And I think that sort of stigmatism is just so pervasive and so ingrained into our system that not only do we try, we deny it to other people, but then we deny it ourselves. I think one interesting thing about his story was the fact that I think this therapist who, you know, he developed this bond over, that was a therapist that was just for his, just for the med school, right? Just for meds, he only took care of med students. And I think it was really amazing how he sort of described the story that he met this therapist when he was in med school, still going through a lot of difficult times, but then bonded with this therapist who, you know, he just felt such a bond. And he, and I think one point, um, after he had um, attempted suicide, I think a, a psychiatrist had like come to him in in his uh, during during a session afterwards, and he was saying how he loved his therapist and his therapist loved him. And then he asked, like, Did, "Have you ever had inappropriate relations with them?" And he's like, "We've spent hours and hours in a room together in closed doors. I mean, how can you not have a connection? And don't just assume because we're both gay that it's inappropriate." And I thought it was just such a interesting um, just insight and discussion on how, how that comes about. Um, you know, it brings up the theme of how much, number one, representation matters. So diversity, equity, inclusion, this has become a focus, you know, since Black Lives Matter and the start of the pandemic. And it needs to continue to be a focus. And it is a continued focus for the Academy. Because how powerful was that story? Uh, a gay man like me, He understood my experience. He knew what I was going through when I contracted a sexually transmitted infection. He understood what that was and he didn't judge me. And he I mean, it just and then you you see this other psychiatrist who didn't have that shared lived experience and was was basing what he was saying off assumptions. And we all do that. We all do that. Right. Like, you know, I don't think the psychiatrist is the enemy in this. I think that this is an opportunity to learn about how our words affect others and how being a physician and being a pediatrician puts you in a position of power and that your words really matter. They're going to resonate with the patients that you treat. So really do choose them carefully and really do try to practice in a place that represents all different types of people. Joan, what? What was that quote about humanity and the limit of science? What was that again? I am definitely paraphrasing, but I think he was challenging us that, you know, so often we reach for like our humanity when we kind of run out of our medical skills and our medical knowledge. But rather than doing that kind of at the beginning of that patient encounter, the beginning of that relationship to reach for our humanity first and use that as leverage as we care for our patients. 
And, you know, you, you had said that you had met his family and his therapist was in there. And I think you know, a big shock to, I think, a lot of people is after he gave his talk, you know, people start to clap and get up. And he's like, wait, hold on. I have one more thing. My therapist is in the audience today. Yes. I want you, everyone to stand up and give the applause and give the um, standing ovation to him. And I thought that was, it was, it was incredible. It was an amazing moment. And we felt very honored that, you know, back there in that green room, we got to see that relationship and that human, you know, up close for a minute. And it was, it was stunningly inspiring. On the first day on the, of the plenary, going back in time, we had, a mo after the president finished her address, we had kind of a motivational speaker, life coach, kind of who really brought the energy. And what I'm not a motivational coach, and I have kind of a monotone in all honesty, so I cannot bring that same energy to the table here. But I would love to hear, and I can run through, he had six ways to find joy. And really, the underlying theme was that it's really complicated. Um, <laughs> that really was the theme, wasn't it? But you can either, um, I can list them out if you need, but you can tell me let's, what resonated most with you, or no, you can do, tell let's me. Let's do hear them Let's, let's do the list for the listeners. Yes. Sounds good. Um, That's because, yeah, because you'll say them perfectly, and then we can tell you which ones really resonated with yeah. us. And then I really want to know how David's uh, week of not complaining is going. <laughs> uh, number one, realize that it's no one else's responsibility but yours. Number two, keep a date on your calendar that you are looking forward to. Number three, you have to be your own biggest encourager. Number four, give yourself realistic expectations. Number five, foster a hob habit of gratitude. And number six, give up complaining for one week. So how is number six going for you, David? It stinks. <laughs> Let me tell you. I am hating not complaining for a week. Whoever had this idea. It's terrible not to complain. It's a dingbat. And, uh, Saying yeah, you no. hate it count as complaining? <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, no. Oh, now I got to start right, over. Yeah, yeah. You know, Come on. What time is it? Really okay. from when the podcast launches. Yeah, really. No, no. Uh... I thought that it was all brilliant. Uh, I, I will say that there's there are a couple of things I do there, and they do bring me tremendous joy. Every time I have to change a password, I incorporate a thing that I'm looking forward to into the new password so that like wow. every time I log on to the medical record, I'm like, oh, yeah, my wife and I are going out of town in a few weeks, right? I mean, it's really it's really just bringing that tiny little smile because you're like, oh, I'm going to work. This stinks. I don't want to be here. And then you type that little thing in and you're like, oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. You know, so I like it. That's and genius. Yeah, that is actually genius. That's much Thank better you. than my Thank password. You. One, two, three, four star. <laughs> Ooh, star. <laughs> my my EMR requires a special yes. character. If you get yeah. David's calendar, there's a good chance you can break into his email, um, which I have. So, yes. no. Um, I, that gets to number two, right? Like having things to look forward to. And the conference was really something that I was looking forward to. <laughs> so I have to rethink. I'm not saying what? it's my password, but I too was looking forward to it. <laughs> AAP Experience 2012. Wait, that's the Wi-Fi password. 2022. Oh my god! I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong. You're in the wrong decade. In the wrong decade. But can we? I mean, it was the right speech for this moment in time. And when they plan this conference, it's planned months and months and months in advance. And so there's always the fear that <laughs> you are going to miss the mood, right? Because as we know, 
things can change really quickly in a month. But I think his message was so universal. And not only that, I mean, the way that he spoke it and the energy and, you know, he included the pictures and the and, you know, I, I the one with him and his wife really sticks with me. I just really love wedding photo. I really I should have been a wedding planner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and now it's too late. Now. Well, I, t- I tell you what, my wife uh, told I'm me one of his stories, uh, which may have been pointed. But he said that his wife sent him out to uh, get coffee. And like he felt like he knew her order. And so he goes out. He's like, I'm going to take care of my wife. I'm going to get coffee. And then when he goes to to the counter, he puts in the order. And the barista, uh, full disclosure, my daughter's a barista, says, so you want that hot or cold? And he's like, oh, no. And there's only one answer. Both, please. Right. I mean, <laughs> so... I don't know if she reminded me of that story with any target in mind, uh, but I think it was it was something to live by. Um, this is my husband doesn't even know what bagels I like, and it's been like years that I tried to tell him it's sesame bagels. Well, now now that so I've maybe met, I'll make him listen. now that I met Danny, I'm just going to give him the tip. Be like, dude, sesame, come sesame. On. sesame. <laughs> so um, I'm a father of four boys, and we go through four gallons of milk every two weeks. And so sometimes my wife says, go buy milk on the way home. But we have this weird mixture of like whole milk for the baby, for the one-year-old. And then we also go between 2%. But sometimes my wife wants to do 1%. And I inevitably come with the wrong ratio of which milks to come home with. And I... But I do bring them all, like skim 1%, 2%. Just gallons of milk. Well, just mix them to make them what, what they need to be. <laughs> but she it's just... funny you mentioned fat because that um, thinking about diet and nutrition was also in the plenaries in the last two days. And that makes me think of that because like, I feel like we shouldn't be so afraid of fat content. And it really matters kind of the quality, I think, of what you're eating. I, I will say fat content brings me joy. And so... <laughs> I feel like that sort of a, you know, synthesizes everything that we heard. I think that's a perfect segue into one of our other plenary talks that we had today, which was um, obesity as a disease versus size acceptance. So Dr. Joseph Skelton, I thought, did just such a wonderful job kind of talking about the two um, different sides um, of like how to approach obesity. Um, So curious again, like what were your thoughts? What were your takeaways from this? It is a complex issue, obesity, because it can affect physical health, but also emotional and mental health. So really tying into this discussion of mental health that we talked about earlier um, with Justin. So I think it was well-placed in this plenary today. And I think it's also something that people are focusing on a lot. Um, I I have mixed feelings on social media, um, and he did mention that in his talks, and he talked about how a lot of the people who are encouraging you to lose weight have never tried to lose weight at all in there. But I have to say, I think social media also lets you see a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of lifestyles and a lot of different types of bodies. So I I left it with some hope that there is this more consciousness about that some bodies are just really different and that it's not really what you eat. It's not calorie counting. That really stuck with me. It's not about that. It's about making healthy food choices and about making your body healthy and and kind of trying. I felt like he was trying to sort of separate that from weight. Um, and, and I think he did a good job. I mean, he was very engaging. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had the longest career, I think, of anybody in this room. So I started my MedPeds residency in 1994 
And I've sort of ridden the roller coaster of the way medicine has thought about healthy weight and diet. I was, you know, back there when snack wells were great because they, can we use branded medication names here? Um, <laughs> because, you know, oh, look, no fat, just a huge heaping, you know, tablespoon of sugar in each one. <laughs> You know, and then I went through the fat shaming phase where, you know, we just focused on that BMI until well, you got to get this number down. This is number right here. It's too high. I don't like it. It's on my graph. See, and it's over the line on my graph and I want it under the line so that when I look at the graph, I'm not uncomfortable. And, you know, to the point where we realized we got leptin and ghrelin research and started to realize that a weight set point is a thing that short of bariatric surgery is nearly impossible to move. And so now we've just been in clinic making people feel bad because you show them the graph. We're like, here's the line. Here's your dot. Your dot's too far above the line. Like nobody can move that dot really. So what, you, what we need to do is stop making parents and kids feel bad and just talk, as he said today, you know. If you're counseling a family on healthy weight and the dot doesn't move, but now the family is spending time together, now they're eating their meals together, now they're eating healthier food, now they go out for a walk in the park in the afternoon, did you fail because the dot didn't move? And like, no, that's a win. There are so many ways that this family is healthy now that you just stop staring at the dot and start looking at the lives that your kids and their families are leading and like that is your goal, right? But yeah, back to humanity and medicine, right? Right. Back all comes to back. everything Justin was saying. It all comes back to looking at a person and not looking at a number. Right. And just to clarify for listeners, like so the talk the name of the talk was obesity as a disease versus size acceptance. Um, and and the subtitle was not mutually exclusive, which I think is probably the most important thing. Uh, and for people who don't understand the size acceptance um, discussion, uh, healthy at every size is sort of like uh, you know one of the big movements. We actually discussed this in one of our weight neutral episodes recently, which was so wait wait don't tell me <laughs> uh, with uh, Dr. Channing Brown, uh, produced by one of our our, our great super producers, um, uh, Becca Raymond Colker. Um, so people should check that out if they don't know what we're talking about from that standpoint. But basically, you know, dec for decades, we're saying obesity is a disease, right? Because we know excess adiposity is probably is associated and there are lots of things going on with other healthy, poor health outcomes. But then, you know, there's also a discussion that, you know, pushing that agenda also creates stigmatization of patients and that really they're not mutually exclusive. You can say, yes, your excess adiposity Put you at higher risk for certain health outcomes, yes. But we shouldn't stigmatize them. We should not focus on the numbers. We should not focus on BMI, but we should focus on healthy lifestyles. And I think that that's the important thing. And I and I I absolutely love the way he said, All right, so you're eating as a family more, you're walking as a family more, you're doing all this work, and okay, the numbers didn't change that much. I don't think we we're 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 doing bad here. And honestly, that's something that in my own personal practice, I've, I've changed a lot, you know, asking permission. Like, Can we talk about your weight? And mm -hmm. if they're like, you know, I'd rather not, then we just talk about how to be healthy. You know, what can we what can we do? And I think these are such great ideas and ways to approach patients without making them feel bad. We want to support them and doing the motivational interviewing and everything else. I think it's great.
Um, yeah. And I think something that I really appreciated, and I think you alluded to it in the title that it's not mutually exclusive, is so often I think we come into these debates where they're side one, side two, and we really feel like they're against each other. But he had this slide that was like, I think we can all agree on certain points. One, that weight bias is not good. Two, obesity is not a simple equation, calories in, calories out. There's our genetics. There's the environments that we're in. And three, that we should avoid any actions that are putting individuals at risk of um, disordered eating or poor self-esteem. And then finally, that we really shouldn't be focusing on just the number of the scale. So I really like how we kind of put like, hey, these, this is where we aligned and maybe we can move forward with what we align on. You know, one of the most interesting slides that he showed was obesity rates across the United States over decades. And I had heard somebody a few years ago being fairly dismissive of somebody who was gaining weight, whether they're just not trying hard enough. And when you look at what this trend has been, I mean, it's not like 30 or 40 or 50 percent of America is now weak. Right. I mean, we have altered this environment dramatically. Processed foods, advertising, you know, sedentary lifestyles, screens, whatever it is, antibiotic exposure, perhaps. I mean, there are, uh, you know, endocrine disruptors. There are so many things that are under investigation. But one thing you can say is human nature did not change dramatically in the last 40 to 50 years of America. And yet, our average weight and our average BMI has changed tremendously and uh, it's probably not the people. There's got to be another piece to this. All right. So we actually have quite a few, or at least two other talks that, that we were um, been able to see so far because, like I said, we're only halfway through the conference. Wow. You guys have a lot of work still ahead of you. <laughs> okay. Let's go. We're not scared. Uh, but so one can't was- can't scare us. <laughs> so one, one was um, a really interesting one that I had honestly had sort of thought about, but really this was such an amazing talk um, about children orphaned by COVID-19, time for advocacy and action uh, with Dr. Susan Hillis. And yeah, um, and she just offered these um, like very staggering statistics on the number of children that have been orphaned by COVID-19. I think so often, you know, you go on the New York Times app, um, but okay, <laughs> um, you go on the news and you see all these numbers of like COVID related deaths or hospitalizations. But I think um, there is this giant influence. Uh, uh, there's a giant elephant in the room of what's happening to the children of all these adults who are passing. And I think the number she gave us was 10.5 million children um, have been orphaned by COVID-19 globally. And I think that number was taken uh, May 2022, I think was when that um, statistics was uh, was given. And so it sounds like you have all, both met Susan before. Um, and she sounds amazing. We were talking about it earlier on that, it, like when she was describing how she got um like this, I don't know if you call it like a paper together. It sounded like she was like assembling the Avengers. She was like, I talked to this person in London and then they got this person and we came up and came together, got all these stats. And now Joe Biden is caring about the children or orphaned by COVID. So she sounds amazing. Can I say her slide on, and it was, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was, I think, three different Ps. And it was basically like, we're doing all this research, right? Prevention, preparation, and protection protect protection. you guys take notes uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we should notes. try that sometime um <laughs> but i mean i so here she's presenting this incredible data and the graphs she showed and the images she showed were very striking she's this worldly figure right 
But she was like, despite all of that and all of the research papers, there was one slide where she put up several papers that all had her name on it. And I was that is impressive. Um, and she was like, but it doesn't matter if I can't translate it to advocacy and if I can't translate it to the public and and let them not just see these statistics, but feel these statistics to spur them into action. To me, that was the most powerful point in her speech, because we're going to walk around this conference and hear incredible research and stunning studies that should change our practice. But how we translate that both within the profession as pediatricians, but also to our patients is so important. And she touched on that communication piece. And as someone who likes medical communication, <laughs> that just really stuck with me as such a powerful and important driver of her message. I think there was a story that we heard again today, and she was on episode 96 of Pediatrics on Call, recorded December 15th, uh, 2021. I think it was the 21st. It was the 21st. I think it was the 21st. We can pull up the script. You you take notes. I should try (laughs) that. I don't take notes, but I had to read that off the prompt. Yeah, right. But it wasn't Uh, 2012, though. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't. wasn't, No, we're at least in this decade again. We interviewed her before Um, crisis had been started. But these kids are all around us. And when you hear people say, well, only the old and the weak die of COVID and it doesn't affect kids and it doesn't matter. uh, How many of our patients are in the primary care of their grandparents? And how many of our patients have a mother or a father or a custodian who has diabetes or high blood pressure or obesity or cancer? Or, I mean, every time somebody dies, there are people around them, many of them children who are profoundly affected. She talked about they have this alpaca farm. I don't know why, but <laughs> they have an alpaca farm. And this little girl, uh, well, not little, she was 16, was leaning over the fence. And Dr. Hillis came out to make conversation with her because that's what pediatricians do. And she said, I'm just enjoying these alpacas. She's and, not a pediatrician, though. Oh, I'm sorry. She's, she's a PhD. A PhD yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. You take notes. I should try that. <laughs> um, yes, it's PhD. And started talking to this girl. And she said, yeah, you know, my, my dad just died not because of COVID, but because he went to the ER with chest pain. And they said they had too many COVID patients to see him. And so they sent him home. And two days later, he was at work and he died. And now I don't have a dad. And she has kept in touch with this girl as she has grown. And the fact that you just walk outside and find somebody affected in this way, standing right in front of you, I think she estimated it was like one in 100 of the kids that we see. And I think most of us encounter at least 100 young people in, I don't know, a week. We know these kids. And to me, that was incredibly profound. And again, as you said, Joanna, turning that into advocacy and helping people care and know that, no, we're not just talking about people you're never going to meet and don't care about dying. We're talking about parents and caregivers dying and leaving in that wake, literally and figuratively, affected children whose lives are forever changed. And maybe you won't catch the ear of Joe Biden like Dr. Susan Hillis can, But I think as pediatricians, we can capture the ears of our local policymakers and community members. Um, And we're, again, going to be the ones seeing these children whose families have been altered. Um, She brought up the concept of ACEs, too, in her talk. And um, this is going to be a major challenge for pediatricians moving forward. So to know about it, to start processing it and thinking about it and how we're going to address 
these families is going to be important for pediatricians moving forward. And another point that she brought up that I uh, really appreciated is, you know, on our podcast, we like to also be sure to talk about the racial like disparities that come up in healthcare. And she had a slide that showed the demographics of how I think, let me I have to look at my notes here, but Hispanic children are 1.5 times more likely to have been orphaned by COVID. Uh, black children are two times more likely and American Indian and Alaskan natives are 3.8 times more likely, which is just really heartbreaking when you think about that. Yeah. You know, when when you look at numbers like that, I recently met up with my former college roommate and good friend, and he lives in various, in the venture capital and business world. And he's David, I see you doing so much for the American Academy of Pediatrics, but what is up with you guys being such social justice warriors? I mean, why are you always talking about the equity? And I was trying to explain to him because this has incredible real world implications. Health equity is everything, and I just want everybody on my team to have everything they need to succeed, and my team is, at the very least, my entire country, if not the entire world. Why would we engineer a world where a child is three three plus times more likely to lose a, lose a parent to COVID because they happen to be an American Indian or Alaskan Native? That's absurd. That's horrible. And so, you know, when you come back to health equity, why fight? Why promote? Why advocate? Because this is life and death for people. It shouldn't be that random. I think one thing I really liked the way she framed the discussion. And, you know, I'm one of the people who are sticklers for the way people say things was, especially as she was presenting that portion, she said these racial things were not risk factors, but she, she called, she called the they're the racial disparities and the social determinants of health associated with this race cause these things. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really important distinction. And I don't know how many people caught that as she was saying that. But for me, I think that that change in language, I think it's so important. Well, this goes to the difference. And we're going to hear about this uh, just a little foreshadowing for Tiffany Johnson's talk. Uh, but there is this distinction that the Academy is making that's really important between race-based medicine and race-conscious medicine. So the fact that somebody belongs to a group that's been discriminated against has profound effects on their health and their life experience. We have to acknowledge that. That's race-conscious. And yet, if we say, well, you shouldn't get antibiotics for your maybe urinary tract infection because we have you down as black, but this kid with the same symptoms and lab results is white, so we should treat that UTI, is absurd, right? And so there's that difference. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Tiffany Johnson's talk and how we can sort of actualize that difference between an awareness of the impact that perceived race has on people's life experience and health versus, yeah, that doesn't make your health. It is, you know, where's the cause, where's the effect? I think at the end of the talk, one of the biggest sobering facts, unfortunately, that she presented, she said in 2011, uh, 2021, got to get the right decade again. In 2021, out of 12 orphans, only one of them was caused by COVID. So that means there are still 11 that were not caused by COVID. And so there are a lot of orphans that are being created in the world. And just that sobering fact that we need to still work on everything that we do as as pediatricians, as primary care providers, and doing all the other things that we're doing is so important. So, Do you think that's why she adopted 11 children? Yes. That's a crazy. I'm actually now wondering oh if gosh. that's just cosmic or if that was intentional. <sighs> I mean, she practices. Yeah. She, 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 walks, yeah. she walks the walk. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. impressed. That's for sure. 
11 children, 11 grandchildren. That's what she said, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's move on to the very last talk, which was about concussion. I think this was a this was a sort of interesting talk because she was just like, and this was done by Dr. Tina Master, who was actually on, on your podcast as well. Is that correct? Yes. 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 I, I can't give you the episode number, um, but she talked about this very topic because um, it's so important that it was highlighted by the AAP, I believe, in a clinical statement. Is that correct? Yeah, there was a policy yeah. statement, just like the, with a the firearms, statement. right? Exactly. It was policy. Okay. It was highlighted in a policy statement put out by the AAP. So this is important because, and, and you know, now you know, I'm a podcaster, so now I have to ask you guys a question, is when you think of concussions, do you think of vision loss? No. no. <laughs> they can't yeah, see me right? shaking my head, I guess, on the audio, so you know what? I'll have to talk. Okay, I'm just, I'm just a little older as I keep bringing up, but I grew up Looney Tunes, and every time one of the cartoon characters got a concussion, there were always visual symptoms their first. Eyes, like these little rolly things. Yeah, and, like, and then the stars. And so like yeah. the animators of Looney Tunes understood very well that concussion has profound visual <laughs> symptoms. Oh my God. I just and, studied yeah. Nelson's the and I should have been watching Looney Tunes this entire time. Absolutely. <laughs> and and the, the incidence actually being a Looney Tunes character puts you at an incredibly high risk. I'd like to know that odds ratio for discussion it's uh, it's only higher if you're tom and or jerry <laughs> well so I, I they recently had a rescue rangers movie that came out that my kids really love and in fact the one of the plot points was about getting hit in the head and the using the birds as part of the distraction against the bad guys. i don't know was, <laughs> i don't remember it too much but i was like okay that's that's an interesting way to bring it in so so we we have a couple different cartoons which you'll see this <laughs> I think concussions were a huge problem in the early half of the 20th century. Uh, just everybody, all the animators especially were very given it. So they were <laughs> or very Or they're attuned. just very funny. I don't know. They, they, they could be hilarious. I, I also <laughs> I also watched 1970s TV shows a lot. The detectives, like everybody was getting hit over the head at least once an episode enough to lose consciousness. Like that happened, like Jim Rockford of the Rockford Files. Every single episode hinged on somebody conking him over the head. And the next day, he was fine and had no visual problems. <laughs> well, on, on the A-team, Mr. TBA Brackus has to be knocked out to get on a plane every time. And they have to get on a plane like every episode. Oh, my gosh. That explains a lot about his, <laughs> his speech patterns. <laughs> Does anyone else have any, anything, any other comments? No? So I want you guys to – first, I want to – Thank you guys so much for coming on our episode. It's been such a fun time. I really want to encourage all our listeners, if they're not already fans of your podcast, to go check you guys out. And do you guys have anything you want to, to shill for, like outside of your podcast, like other cool things you want to share with our with our listeners? Well, I wanted to thank you for having us on Cribsiders because this is a podcast that I love to listen to. And I love that all these pediatric podcasts are out and educating. So thank you guys for this opportunity. I think I just want to say, too, that it's just a privilege to be at the plenary sessions and to be on that stage with some incredible pediatricians. And 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 I can't think of anything that I want to, like, sell. I'm not good at that. Yeah, no. no I would, I would oh. say, first of all, again, coming back to 70s and 80s TV, I love the crossover episodes. <laughs> and uh, this is just the best. This is the best, guys. I mean, this is like Laverne and Shirley meet the Fawns. It's awesome. 
Uh, so thank or you so kiss, much. Kiss on the Scooby Doo. Or the, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Oh my gosh, that was the best. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, thank you guys so much. I think for this conference and for the academy, I got to say the the fellowship, the inspiration, the uh, understanding that we are all facing such similar challenges, and that we have each other to fall back on in the entire academy. I just, it is so inspiring and it sounds so corny when I say it, but it is absolutely true. So if you haven't been here, come here next year, uh, come see what this is about because you will just go back full of ideas and friendships. Well, thank you so much. We need to do this again. Yes. Let's. Let's. Yeah, let's. <laughs> gotta have you guys on. All right. We gotta do All part right. two of the plenary. That's right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> This has been another episode of the Cribsiders. It's for the kids! (laughs) Get show notes and sign up for our weekly Knowledge Food Formula Feeds newsletter on our website at www.cribsiders.com. We're committed to providing you high-value, practice-changing knowledge, and to do that, we need your feedback. So subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast player, or contact us at thecribsiders at gmail.com. A special thanks to our producers for this episode, Dr. Nick Lee, Sydney Engel, Joan Park, Dr. Joan Park, I'm sorry, and our showrunner, Dr. Sam Mazur, and our wonderful social media team on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have been Chris the Chiman Chu. I'm Nick Lee. I'm Sydney Engel. And this has been Joan Park. Thank you and good night. Pediatrics on Call is a product of the American <laughs> Academy of Pediatrics. <laughs> our producers and John says. Hey, you've already listened to the entire episode. Now claim CME credit. Continuing education credit is provided by VCU Healthcare Continuing Education. VCU is accredited to provide continuing education to the entire healthcare team. Check it out at cribsiders.vcuhealth.org for more information and to claim your credit after listening to this episode.